Season one of Watch With You is made possible by the support of Barry from Podcast in Color. Thank you, Barry. Lovers of good television, lovers of diversity in TV, this is Watch With You featuring your favorite ladies of the court, Lady D and Lady H. Dearest listeners, Lady H here again. Welcome back to the latest edition to Watch With You. This episode covers Bridgerton 1 and 2. And after this episode, please stay tuned for a bonus scene from The Duke and I read by our recapist, Lord G. Thanks for listening and stay tuned. In 1813, households are preparing for the social season of arranging matches for marriage. Among the debutantes presented to the queen are the three Featherington sisters and the eldest Bridgerton daughter, Daphne, whom Queen Charlotte praises highly, giving her an edge over the other young ladies. A new scandal sheet written by the mysterious Lady Whistledown circulates London, promoting Daphne as the season's incomparable. A distant cousin of Lord Featherington, Miss Marina Thompson comes to stay for the season under the supervision of Lady Featherington. Simon Bassett, Duke of Hastings, returns to London to see to the affairs of his late father. Simon's confidant, the indomitable Lady Danbury, pressures him to join the season. Viscount Anthony Bridgerton deems all suitors unsuitable for his sister death. Anthony's off-putting behavior drives away all potential suitors except the detestable Lord Burbrook. Miss Thompson picks up the slack to the delight of Lady Whistledown and the anger of the Queen. Lady Danbury and Lady Bridgerton conspire to bring Simon and Daphne together. Anthony breaks up with his mistress, Sienna Russell. Lady Featherington deduces that Miss Thompson is pregnant. Simon and Daphne agree to pretend to court so that Daphne will enjoy the attentions of suitors eager to steal her away from a duke, while Simon will have respite from ambitious young ladies and their mothers. Flashbacks reveal Simon's tragic childhood. After his mother died in childbirth, Simon was left under the control of his cruel father, who refused to accept that his own son was less than perfect. Lady Danbury came to his aid, assisting him in managing his stammer and supervising his education. On his father's deathbed, Simon vows he would never marry nor sire an heir in order to spite his father. In the present, the queen grows more frustrated with Lady Whistledown's writings. Eloise and Penelope are confused as to how one becomes with child. Marina remains confined to her room, but shares with Penelope that her child was conceived in love with a man named Sir George Crane, who is fighting in Spain. Simon and Daphne's ruse works perfectly, but Anthony is quite upset, knowing of Simon's freakish behavior. Lord Burbrook demands Daphne's hand, and Daphne gives him a black eye in self-defense. Anthony cancels his offer with Lord Burbrook. Hastings and Burbrook fight over Daphne's honor. Burbrook requires a special license for his marriage to Daphne and threatens to ruin her if she doesn't agree. Violet turns the tables on him. However, after successive teas with the Queen and Lord Burbrook's mother reveal a scandal that makes its way to Lady Whistledown. We have this new show um, by Shonda Land Bridgerton. So let's start with you. What drew you to Bridgerton? Honestly, it'll be the second show that we cover, which is Sandyton. 
And that is, I, well, first of all, as we said in our intro episode, I'm a second generation Janite. And um, we watched on PBS about a year ago now, Sandy 10. And there was a character called Miss Lamb, Georgette Lamb. And I said, you know what? I'm not watching another Regency piece if they don't have a Miss Lamb. Because if Jane Austen could have written about her in the 1800s, people can certainly get it together with their storytelling today. And the next thing we know, Bridgerton, and I read the Bridgerton books 20 years ago and um, hadn't really kept up with the casting or anything. But when I found out, but I was going to be curious enough to kind of take a Mm -hmm. peek. And when I saw that it was going to be a diverse cast, and I said, oh, so I get to have what I said, which is, if there won't be a Miss Lamb, there won't be a Lady H. And so that's what drew me to Bridgerton, um, the diverse casting, the storytelling, and also just the opportunity to have pure escapism that is a juxtaposition to my other love, which is comics. So I saw Wonder Woman 84 on Christmas Day and said I'm going to binge Bridgerton the next day. And that's exactly what I did. So what about you? You told me. Me? You did. You were like, do you know that there's this new show coming on by Shadow Rhymes called Bridgerton? I was like, think about it. Mm-hmm. And you were like, well, you are going to probably like it because you like another show by Shonda Rhimes, uh, Starcraft. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, well, since I like Shonda Rhimes and I feel like anything she writes is, oh, well, not necessarily writes because she's not always the creator, mm-hmm. but whatever she has put herself behind in the last 10 years, 10, 20, 15 years has been golden. And that doesn't mean that every that, you know, no one's going to have a bust, but I like, but I have liked everything that she's put out. Cause I watch, I've watched Grey's from the beginning. Then I watched private practice. Then I watched scandal. <sighs> then I, I was on and off with how to get away with murder. Not because, the um, storyline wasn't interesting just because it was a darkly filmed show mm-hmm. and it was hard for me to watch at night. But what was the other show that um, had to do with, it was a romantic comedy, it was two seasons, and it was like based on the con. Oh, type. The Catch. The Catch, Yes. You loved the catch, but also I did. I, I thought it was a great show. It was. It was. It actually, it the storyline was good. The characters were great. Were developed. Like there was so much more to happen on that show. Mm-hmm. Had it not been canceled, but I also want to say that you are OG Shonda Rhimes aficionado because tying back into Bridgerton. The first time I think I heard her name was The Princess Diaries with Julie Andrews and Anne Hathaway. Yeah, that's my movie. That's my books, too, because I read their whole series. Yeah. Yeah, you did. So I'm thinking, so this is tailor-made for us, but mainly you, but us. Oh, right. Well, see, we know each other well. Yes, we do. 
we like escapism. Mm -hmm. our, our look, our real lives are too uh, <laughs> full of stuff. <laughs> very true. But we also love costumes. Yes, we, we we do. We you know, I might not dress up that much in costumes, but I love to look at a good one. Oh, see, and I cosplay. I know you do. Yeah. But for me, you know, there's a lot of, I know you, you do it on a budget, but, you know, I don't sew, you know, my sewing skills are very minimal. Um, and to get the things that I would like requires you to spend money, you know, don't always have. So this is true. So since we both like costumes. What did you think of the costumes in Bridgerton? Like, does it bother you that um, they may not have been historically accurate? Not really. Oh, it doesn't bother me either. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here looking for historical accuracy. This is about pure indulgence. That's all. It's, 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 look, it's about an escape from my reality. Does it look nice? Do they sound, you know, reasonable? Please don't voice not be super annoying. I know people say my voice is annoying, but, you know, I have to watch you on television for 8, 10, 20 episodes. Please don't be super annoying. <laughs> and, and, and it's always nice to have some good looking people around. Who was good looking? I mean, what did you think of the cast? Oh, uh, of course, the Duke Rage. He is gorgeous. Little young, mm. little young for me, but he's gorgeous. Oh, from a distance, huh? Well, look, you know, he's like Kofi, you know, gorgeous looking man. Kofi who? Therapy. Go gorgeous looking. Oh. You know, I'm sad. Fine to look at on television screen. I, I, I had to ask because when I think Kofi, I think Kofi Kingston, who is a wrestler. <laughs> And his, he's close to our age. So I'm like, wait, what? But the other Kofi, you know, from Queen Sugar yeah. and Grip. Yeah, okay. I, 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 I feel you now. Okay. Okay, good to look at a dream about, you know. So in other, so in other words, since we're really close to how Stella's got a groove back's age. So like, if, if we saw him in Jamaica. <laughs> and, 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 and was uninhibited and untied. And, and would leave him in Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying that you would experience him in Jamaica. I got you. <laughs> look, either one. Look, either one of them. But um, back to Reggie. Since we're talking about Bridgerton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mr. Pate. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. That man. Ooh. Yeah. You know, we we can. As we as we get on in the show, we can just see why 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 everybody wants him. <laughs> not look, well, not just because look, it really isn't because he's a duke. <laughs> nah, I mean, and like not at all. He 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 boxed, and so I just think of him as a gladiator. Where I, I can see, unfortunately, in this. Um, this uh not even assumption but this type of comparison but it's like if if no matter where what station in life he was an agreement could be made mm -hmm. that's all i'll say about that but yeah i i thought that um 
Reggae John Page, who does play the Duke Simon, the Duke of Hastings, he was perfectly cast um, in this role. I read the book, recent, reread the book recently, and um, I think he takes on the characteristics of Simon in the book and then gives a layered and nuanced performance that the writing uh, gives him to do. Give, the writing gives him uh, an opportunity to be way more suave than Simon in the book, but still keep Simon's heart, okay. still keep wit, and, um, and still make him one of the Dukes of the Regency era that you would say, that's one I would want to marry. And also kept his vulnerability. So I do think that looks aside, he brings so much to the uh, character and bringing him to life that even the haters who said, well, he ain't, he don't look like Simon in a book should, should be able to say, but, so, you know, first of all, shame on you for your hate, but I mean, I know you, I get it. You like what you like, but also I think that once you meet him, his Simon, that it does bring you into this other world where this alternate reality that says, oh yeah, you are the Duke and I'm here to burn for the Duke. Well, there's more that we just talking about, Rachel. We need to talk about the rest of the cast. <laughs> I would want to let the, the listeners know, I, I guess we are all uh, maybe 10 minutes into this recording, that we stand on the shoulders of such giants of the first aid kit. Uh, thank you, Nicole Perkins and Ben Maniwamni, who just said we are here to love on this show, to have you love on this show with us but also to indulge in all of the thirst. <laughs> we get it from them. We stay shoulders. I miss them. They have left such a gap in podcast listening. So we are here. We cannot fill the gap, but we are here to just kind of, kind of bridge it just a little bit so that, you know, those people who are missing the opportunity to just thirst out loud, come on, play with us. Also, there's going to be some hate because I ain't going to lie. We, we, we talked, we started with Daphne, but the Eloise, on site for her you know i'm just saying i'm just saying she takes me there anyway let's talk about these bridgertons and then we'll go back to some cinematography okay all right so, so you started i started with daphne well I'm you started with daphne but you gave eloise a whole lot more play i did i'm daphne daphne's okay now eloise no <laughs> I don't have no, I mean, no, no, I'm gonna give Elo, I'm gonna give Daphne her due before we go to Eloise. I mean, but in Daphne is now we're just we're introduced to Daphne, you know. Introduced Daphne, and she is the diamond of the first water, which I do believe what makes her the diamond is her grace. And and I I appreciate that the subtlety in which uh Phoebe, don't know her last name plays Daphne in that everything in her life comes to this moment. This is her debut. This is her opportunity to be presented before the queen and the queen gives her her blessing. And uh, it was everything that she prepared for. And, you know, and for her to reach that zenith of her life thus far and see all of the nervousness, see all of the excitement and then also see some of the disappointment because then she's got to be shepherded by Anthony. Um, you know, all of that was there. And so, and I thought that she did a really good job 
in presenting that type of nervous excitement for your debut. And she also had good chemistry with, uh, with Simon. So what say you about the casting of Daphne? And look, Daphne looks much younger than she is. Oh, uh, Phoebe Danavar looks much younger uh, than she is mm-hmm. to play. I mean, she's actually not super, she's not super old. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to call her an old lady that looks like she's a little kid because she's not. That would be me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, she she's uh, 25 years old. You know, but she looks like a baby. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she looks. She looks like a baby. And and the whole time I'm watching this show, I'm like, how old is this girl supposed to be? Well, well, let me ask you. <laughs> you know that this is a romance novel. Does that deter you uh, into watching or wanting to watch how she finds love and how? this love progresses no but you know that doesn't bother me because i've read romance novels for a very long time and i know and i know generally um de- depending on the era and what type of room the girls are always young <laughs> you know so depending on which which um era of romance you're reading the girls are young so i will say this though i don't want to compare the book you know, too much. Mm-hmm. But I will say this: in the book, she's older. Mm. This is not her first season. This is not her season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, this is an alternative reality to the book. Right. And it's inspired think, by, not necessarily a, a complete teleplay. And, mm-hmm. Yes, and I appreciate that because as Daphne is introduced to the ton and the expectations of women. We are introduced to London society of 1813 as under the watchful eye of Lady Whistledown and understanding who the players are, like she's discovering who the players are. And I don't know that it would have had the same impact if she was kind of like same shit, different day. Right, right. Where there there may be a shorthand that some people aren't necessarily um, aware of. So I appreciated the newness of it because like it was new to her, it was new to me. Mm-hmm. But um, Phoebe did a good job. I mean, she does, she's, she's, she's doing a great job in the act, you know, her timing expressions are on, that is all great. I just always looking at her, I'm like, is this girl 13? Oh, see, you <laughs> I, I gotta be honest, like, I didn't see that she looked that young, because if I felt like she looked like Hyacinth or something, then I'd have turned it off, like, like it just would not have felt right in my spirit. Okay, and so I might be joking about is she 13? To me, she looks like 17, 18 years old, and so, like, she's at the cusp of womanhood, and, you know, more ways than one. Right. But our oldest says what? They're 22. So, that's baby to us, but you know, you know like, woof, child. I mean, I couldn't, couldn't deal if she looked any younger than that. <laughs> but I am teasing a little bit. I'm about to say you, Lord Burbrooking over there. Oh but, no, right. hell. Talking about, but it's all right. <laughs> oh look, we haven't even to him. Yeah. Oh, 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 blah, blah. Okay. 
but technically we don't have to go through each and every person you know like no you know we can talk about the Bridgertons we could probably talk about the casting if you want but we could just kind of give our overall assessment of the cast. yeah well overall I think the casting itself was good like everybody was played their character everybody gave you gives you that bit of love light or disgust or hatred mm-hmm. that you need for each character mm-hmm. they're they're, yeah. they're giving you that they're acting their acting is all on the look of the person playing that character makes you go oh i don't like them they're the villain they're the hero they're the heroine they're the they they give you all of it they're the supporting characters to these people you know we're gonna look you know because we know it's a series and if it comes back for another season you know we know where we're gonna possibly go with the next character um next brother or sister from the well you know I'm sorry, from the Bridgertons. And you know what? I think that, that that they did their casting very well and seating, regardless of my varying levels of attraction to them, they everybody has acted well where I'm I'm not looking at anybody and saying, Ooh, you over there modeling? <laughs> like like none of those but things. You're, not, you're it, not you're not trying to say that some of them were giving their um first soap opera um acting and acting gig and I'm not gonna and I'm not down in soap opera since I've watched them for years but you know many people get started in them and build their acting uh, chops from there so and good because I mean it's an everyday thing and you know like Bill Bell I believe it was his book that said cast pretty and then teach him how to act with eight books in a Bridgerton series and then since it's an ad- adaptation and they could do whatever they like that um they could seed it well enough for a Bridgerton cinematic universe, much like a, a Marvel cinematic universe or a DC. And I well, I can appreciate that. Um, and I do think that the casting has done enough where I would look forward to that and not say, so y'all gonna recast this person, right? Like, so I do appreciate all of that. We have whole Bridgerton clan that's what i'm gonna call them because it's not it's not a it's not a uh little regular family two kids three kids we got eight chillins eight 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 children eight and eight and that that is unfamiliar to me (laughs) (laughs) i'm the oldest of four you know that's that's a that's a lot of chillins it's actually not a lot of children to have back then but is and I do appreciate that Mother Lady Violet Bridgerton, or I should say Viscountess uh, Bridgerton, and um, the former Viscount, Viscount, I think it's Edmund is his name, that they decided that they were going to be orderly and name their children in alphabetical order. It does help say, like, you know, like help with the confusion. To say, like, which one are you? It's like, oh, so your name begins with an F? I know which one you are. <laughs> and I, I do like that. Um, what do you think of how they related to each other? Because I think that one of the first things that we saw as Daphne was getting ready to leave were the brothers waiting uh, on their sister. And then we have that loud child, Eloise, do the only thing that I thought was relatable. Which was yell at the bottom of the get, stairs. Get, get your ass down here without saying that. 
Kicked her ass that out. Look, look. She, that's what she yelled. <laughs> yeah. There was a level of familiarity uh, with them and a level of comfort. And I liked the way that they started establishing um, the Bridgerton family. And you know what? And then we see uh, the first bare ass of the season with I call him bare ass Anthony. Yes, bare um, bare ass Anthony who had the family waiting, wondering where he yeah. was um when it was to leave for Daphne's debut mm-hmm. debut for the season. And no did you notice that they was like, oh, you know, like mm, here he comes. I mean, but that was the best introduction because that tells you everything that you need to know. He's a hedonist. You know, he is somebody who is putting pleasure first, you know, possibly his pleasure. But at the end of the day, he's going to come through for a family because that's what they said. Like, he's like, oh, where else would I be? So, I mean, that was the best introduction, I think, to Anthony. The tree, you know, poor, poor tree, poor Sienna. <laughs> that's her name that later. But um, I, I did appreciate his introduction. Yes, I mean... He he is the brother that, from what we can gather in these first couple of episodes, he is the brother that every sister would want. You know, um, every brother would want. You know, he's there. He's there. Like you said, he's there when you need him to be. He's gonna protect. There, but there, he protects you when when he has to. But also, I mean, so he may be okay in that point, but he's not the best. No, well, well, we, we, yeah, you know, but the parent, parental relationships with their children are not always very cut and dry. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, so that's, so that's another thing that we also see within the Bridgerton family is that, um, you're seeing that the their layers to the relationship, how he relates to his mother is very different from how he relates to his siblings, but um, you know, still all family. But also from the Bridgertons, we look across the street and we meet the Featheringtons. Oh, yes. Them they're they're, you know, they give a nod to each other and we see that um Eloise and Penelope seem very mm-hmm. when they walk out the house and see each other. So we get mm-hmm. we you know we get that they're friends in some you know capacity. And as mm-hmm. we you know build on to the next episode, basically they're best friends. You know mm-hmm. the equivalent of best friends. And uh, Eloise here doesn't as she speaks learn and she thinks this is nonsense does not want to be out in the tongue. Penelope in her own way agrees because he is saying like, hey, maybe I can sit this out. Hey, like, you know, I want to develop my mind a little bit more and maybe not necessarily be ready for marriage. So it's it's Eloise, but it's also Mm -hmm. Penelope Mm -hmm. who mirrors that um, so well. Mm-hmm. Also, is good because I mean, in her sisters, and you, you know, we we meet Violet uh, briefly, and he's, you know, I mean, in the first introduction, um, but then later on, we see that she's formidable in her own way, and she is a mirror to um, 
to the Featheringtons because the Bridgertons are old money, mm-hmm. and the and they and you can sense that they are established in who and what they are, and then with the Featheringtons, not the same because you see, um, their their madam it was Baroness Featherington, and she is pushy. Mm-hmm. She's trying too hard. Trying, you know, like just the way that she's like. You are going to like you are going to fit into this corset, and you're going to present yourself in this way, and it's going to be great for me. I mean, you. I mean, me. Look, this is only a make me look. Yeah, because you know, like we need to secure ourselves. So there is almost this level of of desperation, or this level of I don't know if desperation is the right word. But there is something about the way that she doesn't feel as secure in her status within the ton that Lady Bridgerton does. And Lady Bridgerton's got eight unmarried children that she's got to marry off. And Lady Featherington, uh, you know, like at first has three, but then we meet Marina then has four girls that she is shepherding through this season that she does not appreciate having to do, even though she didn't want to allow Penelope to sit this out like Lady Bridgerton allow Eloise to sit this out so so it's just the mothers there and then you we even see very early on in the episode how they looked at each other it's almost like rivals but not rivals but rivals Mm -hmm. or they set it up they framed it so that you know that they're going to be in opposition of each other in some way shape or form correct the and what do you think of baron featherington in these first couple of episodes i didn't i forgot about him <laughs> he he, um, he seems non-existent in asset well, well you know like i honestly forgot but now with in thinking about the first two episodes and we are introduced to Marina. And um, she, the way he's watching her, it makes me feel uneasy, especially because Lady Featherington calls her like this distant cousin. And it was almost as if, and then when we meet her, like he, she had no idea what she looked like. So it was like totally unfamiliar to her. But when you look at her daughters, I'm like, you would assume that they had been married many, many years, but yet and still this this family member pops up that you have no idea about. And like, you know, if you've been married all them years, like over 20 years or so, one would assume that you've met everybody in the family that that isn't just born, right? You know? And this this whole ass woman to pop up like, howdy. It it was and it'd be a shock. The only the thought that really came to my mind is, is this Baron Featherington's illegitimate child? And that's the reason why it was like this vague relation. But he brought her into the house. Okay. Mm. He's forgetful, but his presence is enough for me to be like suspicious. Okay. Um. I felt like, like I said, I felt like he was non-existent in the process. He's like, yeah, we're here. We're doing this. And like you said, Marina was introduced. And he's like, yeah, so she's here. Deal with it. Help her get, help mm-hmm. her get the process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, well, what did 
stick with Marina? Um, well, she puts them all to shame. She's beautiful compared to Prudence, uh, Philippa, and Penelope. Like, the huge contradiction. Well, I would like to say that she was beautiful, period. And and then Farz outshines them. But do you think that she outshines them on looks alone or something else? Well, from, your, from our initial introduction to her, she outshines them on looks we get to know her she outshines them in knowledge Mm -hmm. um recognizing that something in the world more than herself Mm -hmm. and that's not a big deal to her like you know she grew up on a farm which means she probably had to do some work that the you know um necessarily penelope Prudence and Philippa haven't done in their lives. Mm-hmm. Maybe Lady Featherington might have. Maybe even um, Baring Featherington might have. As we pointed mm-hmm. out, we don't. They're not old money. Mm-hmm. They're they're new money. They're new titled. Mm. So, like I said, she finds them on that, and that, and that's you know that was the shocker for. Uh, Baroness Southington, because when you when she comes into the room, she's like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> very much not what she was expecting. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I, I think that what we're introduced to in these first two episodes with Marina and the Featherington family is interesting because the light is shown on two Featherington uh, on two people, it's all three. You know, you get. Um, Penelope and you know like from her waving to uh, Eloise and Eloise waving back so you know that she has a life outside of the Featheringtons and the mother you, like I said she is a grasping woman um, who is uh, the, really the head of the household and making all the decisions and um, loud in more ways than one. I'm not just talking about just her voice. I'm talking about like, look at her clothes. And, um, but then you also have Marina, as we see Marina is the star or, you know, like she's, she, I don't want to even say at the star, that's not what I mean, but she, the spotlight is going to be on her and the light is going to be on her as we find out because she's expecting and so she's got this otherworldly knowledge that none of the other girls have um you know yes she has that knowledge of living different and maybe doing work and whatever else but then she also has this carnal knowledge because uh, penelope and eloise they they start talking about how does become with child and and and, wait a minute and and lady violet when she came in that room and said that she's like oh, oh, oh we don't talk about these things i know they were like well you there (laughs) the brothers look the brothers were like yeah we can give you all the info and mother's like "Uh uh-uh the other two sisters are there for almost comic relief or they're just in the background and they're just there and so it'll be interesting to see if that changes if they start if they develop a personality where i'd be able to tell which one is philippa and which Mm -hmm. one isn't because as it is right now, I don't know. It's just you and you. It's like P1 and P2. And so, and I think that that says something 
uh, about them. I mean, not to say that they that they're modeling hair, they're not, but um, you can tell within the Featherington family that like who who the ones to watch are and who the ones um, who may not get as right. much play. Mm-hmm. And what about our little when we go back? Um, we've pretty much covered the Featheringtons pretty well. Back in our Bridgerton, we have the, the uh, we have the brothers Colin and Benedict, the the older, the older, the younger two boys, adult boys, <laughs> but um, they're 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 kind of doing their own thing, you know. Nobody has, I wouldn't say, I don't want to say. They're not at the same, held to the same standard as Anthony as the firstborn. Mm-hmm. You know, um, everybody is kind of they're allowed to they're they're doing their own thing. We 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 see that Benedict is not he's artsy. Um, mm-hmm. You know that's not the thing going on, but he's very you know he's creative. You know we also have Eloise. Um, we've talked about Eloise, but you know she's she wants to be she's book smart, and she wants to have that encouraged and blossom, um, and grow that. And then we have uh, Colin, poor baby. Everybody thinks of him as the poor adult, as the adult baby. <laughs> I I didn't think of him as that. Um, way that he was trying to bump and grind with he, he was but I'm talking about how his brothers and sisters see him uh, well in the first two episodes we didn't get that much yeah but you could tell by some of the interaction that they're like oh yeah well there's Colin <laughs> so the, this was Daphne's moment and um, much ado was about Daphne and I think that the boys especially understood their role was to be seen but then to also within society but also to support their sister because she has clearly been working very hard for this moment and then also to protect their sister um you know from the undesirables i mean you saw that he was the baby and i talking about colin and also benedict um i didn't really get too too much about you know have any thoughts about them until the end uh you know when until the second episode because i mean in the first episode i saw that those three clowns wanted to run away from lady danbury you know she was like too late i spotted you was like damn you know but (laughs) i I thought that 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 was them um being silly and to just say that they I think, if anything, it spoke to their position in the world where they, unlike the Featheringtons or unlike uh, Burbrook or somebody else that felt like they needed to impress or felt like they needed to present themselves in a certain way, that they could just be class clowns because they're Bridgertons. You know, I, I don't know how old Colin was, but I saw him sneaking and peeking in Marina and... uh so I was like, ooh. And then in terms of uh, uh, Benedict, Benedict didn't start making, um, being of interest to me until the swing set scene in episode two 
when he is, excuse me, talking to uh, Eloise. And that's when I thought, oh, so we have a queer reading of the show. Uh, What are they talking about, about being different? What are they talking about in terms of being seen for who they are and discovering who they are and having a space to do that without the restrictions of society and what other people will think? And um, I guess later on, we'll discover what they may mean. I mean, or later seasons, if we get them, uh, as we start, we pull focus away from Daphne uh, to their own stories. But, you know, this is the first time where I thought, huh, could this mean something sexual? Could this mean something else? I mean, could it just be the arts? Could it, like, what could it mean uh, about it? So, you know, that's, that's Benedict and Colin. And then they're the babies, um, Gregory and Hyacinth, and they're just, and they are, they're babies. They're, those are the babies. They're under 10 years old. They are very much children and they are allowed to act like children, which I appreciate. And then there's Francesca, who is, um, you know what? How would you describe Francesca? We don't see her. <laughs> Uh, exactly. I mean, like, it's kind of like they literally said, girl, this ain't about you, you know, but come on and come on and support your sister. And then she was gone. <laughs> that was it. Just like, you know, see the queen, you know, snicker about everybody else. And then she was gone. Do you have any thoughts about, I know you love Mama Violet. So do you want to talk about her for a little bit? I mean, when these first couple of episodes, you know, we just, we get her ushering her daughter into the season but she knows her daughter she's not necessarily just looking to find her a husband but she knows that her daughter wants to find a love match like her and her daddy like her mama and her daddy um and lady violet is there for that like she she's she's encouraged she's encouraging it she's like oh well we just need to get you married off who cares about love you might find that later so what you're saying is that <laughs> of course, yes, not complete, complete opposite. <laughs> complete you know, opposite. she's like, I want my baby to be happy. And I think shows in Daphne because, you know, that's the one I hadn't really thought about until you started talking about she wants the best for her child that she you can you can see that not only does she want the best for her child, that she is proud of her child. Right. Yeah, in a way that the feather that Baroness Featherington was not. She was like, "Oh Lord, that girl fell out in front of the queen," and she was like, "Of course she did." But what about me, though? Yeah, you know. So, so is that what you admired the most about um, Lady Featherington? And uh, it's not Featherington. Good <laughs> oh, Lord, Lord why, don't do that to poor Violet. I did. I you listen. I have yellow around here, but that's all it was it pulled focus for a second but yeah so mama violet um i i think that in these first episodes we show we see that she's a very caring mother um she puts her foot down on anthony when she needs to Mm -hmm. um you know make him get himself together be where he need to be um but that's what a mother does, you know, love all the time, encouragement when needed, and sometimes some discipline when needed. 
I mean, he might be a grown man, but he needs some discipline. He's supposed to be leading the family. With his right. head and not his... Well, look, with the one with mushy brain in it, not the one that's in the pants. There you go. I mean, what was his problem with all of the prospects, you know, for his sister? Where he, where he literally did a sweep of the room and said, the only eligible men here are your brothers. So there are no eligible <laughs> well, look, be- because he he knew too much. He knows too much about everybody. That's what it boiled down to. <laughs> yeah, he did. I'm gossip. Just in the club, just keep can and, and everything else. Knew everybody's business. Mm. He's Lady Whistledown. You said he is? Oh. Yeah. I mean, well, he knew everybody's business and he wouldn't <laughs> tell it. No, I'm just saying. Also, I mean, but what do you think about, since I brought her up, um, what do you think of having Lady Whistledown kind of set the scene for us and move us through story? I think that we all have one of those in our town. <laughs> There's always somebody Oh. In the circle that knows everybody's business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can always go to for the gossip. She was just willing to tell everybody. Right? Yeah. Oh, stop tweeting. Just like, <laughs> I'm just going to out you. Like, hey, she, look, she, you, you, you do what you're doing. <laughs> okay. But do you like Andrews as in, in the role of Lady well, I like. I've always liked Julie Andrews. I love Julie Andrews. Uh, her voice is undeniably just... Dis- um, we know that she's there to confuse us into and, and who mm. Lady Whistledown is or isn't. We know it's got, we know even without watching, you know, even further than these first couple of episodes, you know, it's got to be someone who's around the town. We don't see Andrews anywhere. <laughs> well, true. We don't. Lady Whistledown. I mean, I mean she we, is we like- know that this is probably, you know, Whistletown is her, Whistledown is her alias. But, so, but what I was saying is we know it's not Julie Andrews. <laughs> well, yeah, I know that, but, but no, she, she's there, she's, she's there to narrate the story to give us right. um, some background, mm-hmm. you know, as, as oh, well boy, as sorry. give the tea. To the town. You know. Yeah. Well, since she has been introduced already, from the characters that we have been introduced to, we haven't gotten to Lady Danbury yet, but we brought Lady Whistledown up because mm-hmm. we opened the seat the seat right. with her voice or with Whistledown. So do you have any guesses as to who Lady Whistledown is? Like I was joking about Anthony, but um not so much for my second guest. All so, right. so who- the first episode, not so much because we're just getting to know everybody. Um, mm-hmm. and every um, mm-hmm. by episode two, I'm starting to gain some thoughts. Definitely know it's somebody that is around everything. Um, you know, as we know it's gonna be somebody in society. I, I know that much. Mm-hmm. I know that it's not a servant. Even though the servants know everything, they know everything in their household. 
this is somebody who is out in society and gets to see everybody. Okay, so who well, at this point, we have all these characters. It's definitely a woman, you know, okay. um, because what we're talking about being spilled in the tea department has all been about basically women. It's it's nothing um, right now. It's nothing about the men of the town. It's about the women of the town. So, so it's definitely a woman. It's def- you know, and it's someone who cannot be seen or who's not seen, who's ignored. Uh-huh. So, in my guessing, it's somebody in. Featherington household, but not Lady Featherington because she puts herself too much out there to be all out there. It's it, I my guess is that it's Penelope. Okay, so for me, I was joking about Anthony being a gossip, but I I had two guesses for for right now for episodes one and two, and they are Lady Danbury, and that is because um, when we meet her, I think that the first time we see her walking there's a lady whistle down is speaking about like concealing her identity and so I thought ooh is that a visual clue as to say oh it's her and also she knows a lot about the people in the ton and um and people know who she is and they respect her so I thought maybe her um, or I'm thinking that it's Sienna, who is the opera singer that is the mistress to Anthony, because Anthony, not only did he know everybody's business, but he's telling in pillow talk his business to Sienna. So I was thinking that Sienna, you know, is she has made clear that she got to look out for her and um, that uh, that perhaps she is asking him questions because she knew a lot like oh it's just a thing doing. oh it's this oh it's that and I think that Anthony definitely talks to her and mocks you know like you know talks to her and lets his guard down in a way that he doesn't perhaps with other people so she knows a lot and so maybe she's profiting from it and uh you know she's not necessarily in society like in society but she's like of society <coughs> Because she is in a relationship with Anthony. And so she has access to um, people in society. Plus, she's an opera singer. People come to, in the society, comes to see her perform. So uh, I don't know what she can see. So maybe she can see um, two people like, oh, did somebody bring their mistress to the opera? You know, like that lord wasn't with that madam or lady, baroness, whoever. Uh, before that's a new thing so maybe she can comment on it um and people would never suspect her because how would she know well because someone like anthony snitches or you know just talks so those are my two guesses either lady danbury and or okay sienna why do you think sienna i mean i I mean like like like, you really think it's really her I'm saying that she has the opportunity because you have somebody, you have Anthony who clearly knows everybody's business telling her, telling Sienna everybody's business. 
So why not? Okay. You, that, you, you, just, you just think she's taking off, uh, advantage of the opportunity of her sleeping with this man to get info? Well, okay. Yes. Those sheets are not, you know, unheard of. They, they talked about the reason why um, Lady Whistledown Society pages stand out among the other scandal sheets is because Lady Whistledown names names. Right. Okay, okay, so, okay. So, yeah, and I also think that you know, like, why like, uh, Anthony isn't doing anything that other men probably aren't doing too, which is telling folks business. So it could be a bunch of them, you know, gossiping. Because you also talked about like the help they know what goes on in their household, so you don't know who's telling what, and they and somebody's just writing it down with their name on it and getting paid for okay. it. Okay, so I has the means motive and opportunity okay. for it to- all right uh, mm-hmm. i mean i can i can okay well you know guys are gossip i mean yep. everybody you know men act want to act like they're not gossips but they are just as much as women i mean anthony knew like you don't pay your bills you ain't got no money you did you sleep with so-and-so i mean anthony knew everybody's business everybody's business so yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so but anyway we, we kind of talked about lady danbury but we ain't talking about lady danbury and lady danbury head and shoulders is my favorite character of the uh this series thus far i i mean from her swag i mean you know like you talk about hot sauce in your bag swag that is Lady Danbury. You know, Kane be damned. You you see the um oh, she, she slayed her hair her hair, her clothes. Everything. You know, the way that she carried herself, you know, just like the respect that she commands in society. Um, I don't think that and this this is also feeds into one of the reasons why I also think she could be Lady Whistledown is the fact that People want to be on her good side. People want to present themselves well to her. And um, whether, and but she also has a sense of humor about it. Like, be gone with it. Like, I know what you, I know who and what you are. And, and I can see that she likes, she likes to take people down a peg, you know, because she can tell that they're putting on something and they're not really being themselves. So, you know, maybe one of the ways that she is choosing to take them down a peg and take the winds out their sails is by naming names and telling their business. But um, even if she's not, and then especially as we see in episode two, the care that she gives and the fierceness that she lavishes on um, Simon, uh, you know, and also the late Duchess of Hastings was her friend, how she stood up to the Papa Pope of the era of, you know, like the elder dude. And you keep calling him Papa Pope on our, in our conversations. I say Papa Pope was a better father than the former Duke of Hastings. <laughs> I'm saying that every is better, but that's his forefather <laughs> all day. You, you, say, you say an Olivia Pope and, and Papa Pope are related to the Duke of Hastings. I'm saying I'm well. I'm not saying that they are, but I ain't saying that they aren't. Uh, I'm saying that, that there is some shared DNA 
of of character of this Sean Land character, and you know, talking about excellency and how um, how our positions, and then by our, I mean black people's positions of power, of prestige, of really anything uh, of you know, it is not earned easily and can be taken away easily. So it's not as though uh, we reach, and by we, I don't mean the royal we, I mean the black we, reach, um, you know, certain positions without the stress or without the understanding that you are being watched and that if it can be taken from you, it will be. And so that stress that the Duke is under, the Duke of Hastings, the elder Duke of Hastings is under, it created generational trauma that went all the way down to Olivia Pope, is what I'm saying. Hell, it went down to me. I felt it. You know, because I, I understand it. I've had those conversations levied at me as well. Like, you can't do what they do. You got to be twice as good as they are just to get half of the recognition. So you cannot be. And honestly, it has manifested in my life um, through, I mean, a lot. And, you know, like, good Lord, it's at the tip of my tongue. Uh, But what is it? You probably know it. Uh, What is it when you always feel like you're going to be found out? Um. You're out. You're, that you're a fraud. Oh, you're. Oh shoot! I mean, you know, you can tell us later at night when we're recording this, but um, it's the fear. You know, see, fear you'll be found out. Let me. So I'm about to GTS, <laughs> aka Google that shit. But yeah, and I just think that. Impo- oh syndrome. yes, yes, yes. The imposter syndrome. Like I struggle with it mightily. You know, myself, and it's like if you're not excellent in everything you do, then um, it, you know, then something will happen, then it will be taken away from you, even though you've, you've earned the credential, even though you've done these things. So, I mean, I would say that this is, I've been a, an avid podcast listener for years. I've guested on podcasts. This is our very first podcast. And a lot of it had been, well, if it's not going to be perfect, should I do it? And we decided to do it. And so, like, you guys got to forgive any technical difficulties, you know, give us grace as we figure this out and as we become the homies in your head. But it's just like, I mean, but in the back of my mind, there is the imposter syndrome where people are going to say, why, you know, like, we're not going to listen because, you know, like, did the day and you get found out and it's like, no, you're not good at it. And so I can see where the Duke, not that I'm caping for him, because that was your baby and you're supposed to love your children regardless even if even if you're rigid which is what the duke the elder duke of hastings didn't for um for simon he just rejected simon instead of rigid with Simon. you know like i can you know like as you say papa pope didn't reject olivia he was rigid with olivia he had expectations and i mean he did a whole bunch of other (laughs) wild stop that with questions are you a father but yeah, but he never, but he didn't, he never rejected Olivia the way that the Duke did. And so I appreciate how Lady Danbury was his soft place to land and how 
he provided the support, the nurturance, and the guidance, as well as the his nurse and other staff to ensure that he became that swaggering, uh, sexy ass man that we oh, had before but, us. But, but like was, you know, he's sexy, but he always had his 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 uh, stick in some honey pot. Who did the the the, the young enhanced of Hastings, Simon? <laughs> well, you know what. It, everybody knew they as soon as Simon was revealed to be friends with Anthony, bare ass, two butt bare ass, and Daphne. Everybody, was like, oh, yeah, you, 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 Anthony's friend. I mean, you isn't up to no good, too. <laughs> none, none of the good, none of the good. I mean, you know, I guess they probably said there's no way you couldn't be, you know, like a hoe looking like that. <laughs> Cause it's coming right at you, you know, like, like Anthony, I think that the, the appeal of Anthony was that Bridgerton name, you know, like that we talked about, like that's old money or whatever else. The appeal of, of Simon <laughs> is everything else. Look, he got everything everybody else don't have. It's just not about, look, it's just not about him. Um, it's not just about his friend Anthony, it's everybody else. He got everything else everybody else in the ton don't have. Times two, because I guess some of the dudes that uh, honestly, and this regardless of our eyes and just us being nasty, Anthony told us so. Anthony went swept around that room and was like, "Yeah, we good. We can go. Like, there's nobody here that's worth noting." And the oh, and and, we, and then you know, Simon. here comes it was like, "Not him, cause he a hoe." But he also says to me like no 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 like we 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 ran some things together well i can tell you he, he not only home but a freak but but he also is not going to be one that can be he's he doesn't want to be a reformed hoe so there is a difference where you know like he cannot be eligible to you because he does not want to be married so we have to keep on looking and they look and they find Burbrook. Yes. Oh. Mm. That's that gentleman. Mm-hmm. Are we? I don't know if I should even oh, call him a gentleman. Well, I don't, what you know. I don't even know what word best surprise describes him. <sighs> well. Mm. I, you know, I don't understand him. Mm. Because, first of all, when he ran up on Daphne and like right before the meet right. cute of Simon and Daphne, you know, so, so let's just a stop and say, had he not ran up on her, she wouldn't in, in the way that he did, which, which right. gave her the heebie jeebies that he would not have run away and run into Simon. So we can thank him <laughs> for that. But he almost appeared I mean, you know, like when he's, it, it, I don't even know. I don't want to call him like a pedophile because we, but you know, it was what he said to her about like, oh, don't you know me? Like I, I've been to your house. I saw when you. I was like, she was like, like a right. <laughs> I yeah, mean, weird. Should you have really been saying that you've been envying and, and lusting after a girl since she's been a child? You think that her brother, her brother? I don't think they. I don't knew? think they knew because I. If 
honestly, I believe if Anthony knew that, he would not have agreed. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, I Anthony mean, was all about, like, yeah, nobody in here is worth the time. And then... Also, Anthony was gangbanging. Like, you know, like, in more ways than one, probably. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, like, yo, I, I throw fisticuffs. You know, and her, you know, because Lady Danbury and implied it, like, okay, he is circling around where he's protecting, and then he's brought in his brothers. So it's like gang, 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 gang. You know, where I do believe that if Burbrook was untoward in their house, they would have banked him. I'm from Baltimore. Banking means they would have jumped him and beat him up. Yeah, I, I definitely. <laughs> I don't think that Anthony would have even entertained a marriage if there if there was any pro- okay. impropriety, especially that they would have grasped because we we we're gonna we're saying Daphne is about eighteen you know seventeen eighteen and Anthony is some you know somewhere around twenty five between twenty five and uh, we probably gonna say twenty seven, maybe. Okay, yeah, yeah. not yeah. I don't somewhere between twenty five and twenty seven, and Burbrook Burbrook is a bit older than him. <laughs> he is, uh, you know, he's like thirty. I'm gonna say he's probably gonna be like mid thirty. That's what he comes off to me. Gross. Okay. Why do you, th- that's the thing that I just can't, it, it gives me the stuttering and stammering. Why was he so insistent on Daphne? Especially when I know that Daphne was the, was considered the diamond at first right. until Marina took some of her shine, right? You had other women there, specifically like the Featheringtons. Who were desperate and maybe closer to um your age because we know that the Featherington girl, the older two anyway, this hasn't been this is not their first season, you know, and Mm -hmm. we're just told it's not their first season. We don't know if this is season number ten or you know. (laughs) You know, you'll be firmly on the shelf as a spinster facetious when I say season number 10 but you know it's season oh. number 3 you, you know or 4 mm-hmm. you know <laughs> well that, that's like college isn't it I don't think you can you can you can go that many seasons can you, you can go to college for 5 6 years <laughs> oh that's true I'm about to say this, this, that's late registration all day oh my gosh okay but yeah so, so you know right. there He's, let's just say he's 30, between 30 and 35. Uh, Philippa and, and Prudence, you know, at this point, they're pretty late in the game. So that they're somewhere somewhere between 20, probably like 22, 23. Like, you could have got, and, they, and, and honestly, they're equal to your nonsense. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so why that? Why the insistence? I mean, he was insistent on Daphne 
to the point where Daphne had to pop him. I, I, I don't know. You know I'm like, telling you. Well, that conversation kind of may have told the answer. The fact that he was probably lusting after her since she was a little person, which is nasty. That is I'm, very nasty. I mean, I don't care what that time is- you're in. It's nasty. Oh, wow. I mean, just the way. And then he even ran up on Simon. And Simon had to whoop up on I mean, that man was catching all types of beating. And and he was still like, but what's good, though? And I don't I don't understand. Uh, I mean, like, well, I mean, like you said, it, maybe it was just like this. And, but, it, 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 you know, like. And, but so much thing. so that he insisted upon it that he went and got a special license. Like. What oh what God. is the obsession? And you know, and then Anthony was all like, you know, duels at dawn. But I, I, I mean, Mother Violet handled it quite well. The game was afoot with her. She said, "We're gonna do what women do, and we're gonna put a stop to this." And you know, which I appreciated so very well. But I, I just have to say, at what point? I mean, Anthony put the pause. Not Anthony, excuse me. Like Simon put the pause to him. But at what point? Did they not, you know, like be like, let's beat the shit out this boy? I know, right? And you know, like you were like, <laughs> Look, dude, like on duels at dawn, or we just beat the okay. crap out of it. I, I, I prefer. Look, I no, prefer I'm, a good old well, I, butt ass whooping. Girl, both. So I was like, see, no, see, what's gonna happen is we gonna fuck you up, and then I demand satisfaction because then you got to die. Like you know, like it's both. Because you know, like you, you caught like my sister punched you. That wasn't enough. Simon, pause on it. that. Wasn't enough. So also, now you're you gonna go get a damn special license nerd to have a damn child that you don't even take care of. Well, I'm gonna do it. Well, you know they. Well, there wasn't even a ba- a it wasn't the problem that the child was a bastard. The most problem is you don't take care of it. You don't send it. You don't send him off to I mean, some, you to the country and don't even take care of the baby. The, well, I you mean, know, the mother. I mean, come on. Ugh. You know, but children, but children don't. You know, children don't yeah. ask to be here. But you know, as a wife, you don't want your husband having children outside your relationship. That I mean, well, I mean, it was it, it was before, be before, but still, that- you would still, even though. Or you would want him to be taking care of the child because that is some indication of what he's going to do to you or for you. <laughs> I mean, this is all very true. This, it, but you know, I could live with it as long as you were taking care of your child. So, you, you know, like that's the thing about rejection, right? So I would, I would understand it. Like, okay, this is before me. You are going to use your finances to care for your child properly. And, you know, so this is where it gets naughty. My child, the legitimate child, gets the titles. And he, I mean. You see what I'm saying? Right. Well, that's how that goes. But goes. but here's a question I have for you. Anthony, who knew Well, apparently business, nobody about knew that? about it. Only the household family knew about it. Because he probably sent that chick off before that baby was born. Do you think that it was a consensual relationship? Because you see him and... Mm. I mean, because he clearly has an issue with... I mean... No. I, I, can, should, can we... 
Okay. So my answer is, my real answer is no. But then that's me being very um, superficial. <laughs> because I'm acting like I'm a, saying no is the superficial answer. Because, but the real answer is based on his behavior, the answer is no. Do I think it would be could he have had a consensual relationship? Sure, because unattractive people are entitled to love and, and, and lust and and the same as attractive people. But my real yeah. my real answer is no. He 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 has a problem with accepting no as so it's more or less so physicality aside, this is really about personality. His personality is what really makes him a unattractive, yes. an unattractive I mean, prospect. You know, all in general, we like to have somebody to look at, good, nice to look at, but looks fade. Yep, right. And so, dumb as forever. <laughs> Had tempted beauty. She you know, at all time. Um, beauty fades. You know, your your intellect and kind does not. This is true. So having that dark cloud over you, that's Lord Burbrook, the need for the ruse with, between Daphne and Simon was real. I could understand why they would enter into such a ruse and why it was such a benefit to both of them and why Simon was the one to come up with it because he he came across... Daphne giving Burbrook the one too and understanding that she really isn't interested in him and he really doesn't know how to take no for an answer and even like how you know Burbrook came upon him later being you know talking mad disrespectful about Daphne so he understood that Daphne needed his protection because he is not a match and for Anthony not to know that wasn't good and then he also needed Simon needed the protection of the interest of Daphne to get all the matchmaking mamas out of his face because he was not interested and he made it very plain and clear that he was not interested in marrying and uh period so it wasn't you know <laughs> I'm not just marrying you I'm just not marrying period so um what did you think of the ruse and what that might mean for the rest of the um the season. ruse is you know was set up to get Daphne what she what she wants you know and give Simon what he wants <laughs> all all the eligible women off his back and they mamas you know and Daphne mm -hmm. of course she she wants a love match but she also wants a match that equals her and what better way to do that than to look like you're taken because nothing is more attractive than when mm -hmm. it's taken. Wow. You, I, I mean, it's I, the I, truth. Okay. I, I mean, when, it some, when it's why they say that some women go after married men and, mm -hmm. and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Some men go after married women because it's, you're more, it's more attractive when it's taken, you know, when, when they're taken, mm -hmm. I shouldn't say it, but, <laughs> yeah. yes not your genitals but you know <laughs> you, you still own but it, even if i would say that 
Daphne got what she wanted. She had plenty of she had plenty of suitors coming after a few day few days, few weeks, whatever the amount of time is, the ruse going on. You know, one of those being Burr broke busting up in air. With Anthony, uh, yeah. you agreed. Uh, and because yeah. it doesn't have doesn't, uh, you know, it's it's Daphne's life. She has some regency in this. I I was just about to bring up that point. This is the first uh piece of feminism, white feminism, that starts to peek out in that she it makes it very clear about this is my life that this is a no, but also when she chastised Anthony in a way that I believe he never thought of, which is that you needed a man. I could have told you, me, that he attacked me and you would have made excuses. You know, like even if I, you saw him later, like, yo, what was that about? To me, you would have mm-hmm. waved away my concerns. Maybe call it hysteria, but because you are Simon. taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. Told you, but because of a man told you, and that's a problem. And he's like, "Oh, you could have come to me. Could I have come to you? Would you have believed me?" I mean, think about how he had been dealing with his mother. You know, like she said, "Listen, I have some experience with this. Let me lead my daughter." And he was like, I am the head. I know what's best. But you chose someone who you who wasn't, who you thought was okay, but it was not okay. And so maybe you do need the guidance in listening to um, your mother or the women in your life. And he even said, I believe that when Burbrook left, that, that you may have had something to do with that, that he didn't leave entirely on his mm. own. And she was like, oh, hmm, really? And that's, and I think that that started shifting mm-hmm. his thinking a little, not a lot. We won't know the impact of that until, if, you know, Lord willing, the creek don't rise, we right. get to his book and his season, like how changing it is. But, you know, from these first two episodes, we do see that he started to think, okay, huh, maybe they do know what they need. And, in as it pertains to themselves or their lives and maybe i should take that into account mm-hmm. um you know any further i will also say that this in terms of romance tropes this is one of the ones that i like which is getting two people together unlikely people together for to work you know like for a common purpose and then they fall for each other or get together it doesn't necessarily have to be enemies to lovers it could be friends lovers but it's just those i mean because in this case they were strangers to friends Mm -hmm. you know in the ruse um in terms of okay we there's this mutually beneficial thing that we can do forcing them to spend time so unlikely people who would not necessarily spend time together now spending time together and then finding out that they have some commonalities or something that's attractive and then things develop i happen to love that trope so this was catnip to me um have anything more than that we want to say about um i want to go back to simon other than he looks great Well, I, I said, you know what, he, he's very Austinian mm-hmm. in terms of like a tortured hero. We get um, a tragic backstory 
very uh, tragic you know tragic in some ways that yeah and 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 he persevered and so i admire <laughs> him i know that he needs therapy i mean you don't go through that you you don't you don't live like that where are aban- your your mother is gone you are abandoned you are treated like you are dead like literally somebody says you are dead to me and treats you like that and then only has acts as though you only have one purpose in life. And that is to continue the line. And it was like, it's worse than an inanimate object. And so you didn't care about me as a person. You care about your name or this line or something. So it's not even, you still don't care about me. You care about my child. True. Was it even did he care about the child because he couldn't even get that far because he was so upset that he wasn't perfect? Oh, yeah, we're talking about about in the when he flashed back to him dying, yeah, right. Because Simon back and you know, he was like, Oh, my son, oh, finally, right? But you know, this is after he has become who he has become, basically, because it had nothing to do with him. Right, so your son is that it's her that, son. You maybe know, but, that woman didn't uh-oh. have any children. She was the auntie. <laughs> well, I I don't know. Do we, we really don't know. Don't know. But my assumption is that since nobody is around, mm, or maybe she had daughters, and the daughters are married and off on their own estates. Either way, she poured into that boy, where anything great that he became came through her. And so for him to then be like, oh, I'm dying. So I need for you to continue this line on. It's still not about you. It's about what you can provide, which is your children. And so I could see why um, Simon would say in that moment in his in petty, petty vengeance. Yeah, it dies with me. There will be no more. And you and you choke yeah. on that. And then he literally does. And my thing is, like, he died knowing that. Yeah. So what would it matter right. if you do or don't you do or don't get married and have kids? He'll never know. He'll never know because he'll I think your father will never know because he mm-hmm. died under the impression that you would never blind. So you basically already got your vengeance on him. Oh, telling him that. Well, that's where the comes in. Because see, it's you how old do you I think Simon, Simon was? Well, he's Anthony's friend. So he's somewhere between 25 and 7 because they went to school together. Yes, but we also know that he was in school late. Well, we don't Well, we don't know. No, we don't necessarily so know. Be- well, we know that he did not go to uh, quote um, grammar school, but that doesn't mean he got homeschooled or private tutors, we should say. Yeah, but you, we know that something was not right because she said, why are you not in school? I've not heard word about you being in school, which is why she went, Lady Danbury right. went and I'm, But what I'm saying like, is, is we do on? understand in flashbacks that he was a very smart child. So once, so once she got him to conquer yes, the stutter, yes. that doesn't mean that he didn't necessarily end up in the same grade as everyone else because he, of his of his, age, of his age and because he was privately schooled okay. and that was one of the things that um the teacher pointed out that he was far more intelligent and advanced than one of her best students she's ever taught well okay 
it, we'll go with that and say that they're the same okay. age because I well, was thinking he's maybe I mean, slightly older. Well, so we'll say but... Simon is somewhere between 25 and 30. Right. Okay. I'm fine with that. So let's say that if that is true, right, that is an awful long time to to hold a grudge, right, and to feel less than and and, you and you know even if he's dead and yet you got an opportunity to kind of spite him you still realized and you had to figure out this is how I do it I, I do it how he chooses his revenge right to actually not give a line but I'm going to pull up something for excuse me the book I think that but I think that the trauma of being seen as imperfect and that rejection and uh we don't know what caused the stammer or the stutter even though he overcame it we don't know what caused it and perhaps he's worried that if he reproduced that his children would be afflicted with it and he didn't want to pass that on okay well i can go i could i could see that and and you know, so it, maybe it's not just petty vengeance. It, but why? But I mean, okay, I, mean, I could is. I could agree with since we don't, no one knows what makes a stutter, especially back then, not wanting to pass it on. Mm-hmm. But why wouldn't you just say that? Because think about who knows about the stutter or the stammer. I don't even think that Anthony knows about that. And so if that's something that Lady that he shares with Lady Danbury and the people that are closest, closest to him. And so that we the one thing that they know is that that it was considered a weakness, that the staff thought he was dead because of it, that the father, you know, that was gonna beat him because of it. And then he said, No, he's dead and I don't wanna see him. So I think that he it was embedded in him that this is something to be shameful shamed of and not something that you ever want anybody to know because they'll reject you so i could see people at once lady danbury helped him conquer that that i could see him working uh-huh. over time to make sure that it doesn't happen again or that people are aware of it because he knows i mean he is he has a very very uh like heavy example okay. of how people okay. could react to it i okay i can see that so he needs therapy you know having somebody help him help him deal with those feelings that don't have anything to do with anything else other than that childhood trauma and his own speaking and how people see him and then really how he sees himself. So when I say he needs therapy, that's what I mean. Like, I ain't trying to be dismissive about anything else. It's really how he sees himself. And we and I'll use a word that I use on me. Maybe he feels a sense of imposter syndrome. Not just because of his race, but because of his oh, speech. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on it on, on I, I agree with you 120 he needs therapy but of course but of course we know that in that time nobody's seeking therapy therapy was in the form of sex drugs and alcohol and art there was another form of therapy 
Okay. No, there was, was another that? form of therapy. Oh, religion. That's religion. true, too. You could go to confession. Well, wait a minute. No, because this is the Catholic. I mean, this is the church. This is England. There's no Catholic church. Oh, there's always a Catholic church, you know, because you can always send your children, your your daughter to take the bail. But there is the Anglicized church and all that other stuff. We all We all know the rules about the monarchy and trying to find ways of divorce. But there are churches. I mean, Marina episode two talks about um, how she got pregnant. And she was like cake because the local vicar was boring. One of the things that they do is they come and give counsel. So it does not confession and like, oh, forgive me, I have sinned. But there is this, you know, there is this understanding that this person is here in, in the well, I don't want to, I'm trying to be really careful about this, but this person is here who has a relationship with God, who can help you as you walk in your feet with your feet of clay to understand how you, how God can help you overcome whatever you are dealing with. So technically Simon can okay. go to his local vicar. Okay. Okay. I guess. And he traveled the continent and all the, you know, where was he? They said the continent. I was like, which one? So, you know, okay, I'm just okay, saying okay, that, okay. you know, Catholic churches are everywhere. Well, all right. If he was in today's society, he needs some, he needs regular counseling. Good old therapist. He's trying to say that he <laughs> call to tell him to fix his life. <laughs> <laughs> Look. <laughs> He, 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 you, look, he needs somebody, God, okay? <laughs> I, look, I don't men counselors, okay. but <laughs> but I'll tell you somebody. Okay. But yes, he he does need counseling. His 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 backstory is very tragic. And I agree, you know, like I said, the way that he's chosen to deal with it by not wanting to get married or have kids was not really necessary when basically mm -hmm. he had his vengeance when he told his father he wasn't going to have kids and his father would be none the wiser because he's dead <laughs> that's well i mean you know it's it's almost like his father was always with him even though to his father simon was dead I, I would say this like it's easier said than done. So I could see him needing some time to to kind of figure that out. But in the meantime, he was like, you know, there was a lot of memories. And it's not just his father. It's also his mother. And he was like, look, I'm just here to wrap up the estate. And then I'll, I'm finna do me. And so which could have also been a form of therapy. Like he had boundaries. He had healthy boundaries. And, you know, and now all of a sudden they were being crossed a little. So... I'm sympathetic to him, you know, until he does some fuck shit. I am saying, you know, like, I, I mean, I, 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 I'm, look, I'm all about the Duke. He's, he's, he's doing something that's kind and helping Daphne, although it is um, self-preservation for himself. You know, he, uh -huh. he, he that, mm -hmm. so that makes him attractive, you know, and then he, of course, is very physically attractive. So, you know what? You you know you're attractive when you can make that dancing look good. Because I ain't going to lie. <laughs> they look like some horses galloping. I don't know why y'all say that. I and love I'm a like, good waltz. 
Maybe, maybe, but maybe that's because I can't dance. uh He's waltzing and slow dancing. You don't have to be super rhythmic. (laughs) No, I get it. But every once in a while, you need to put your hands on your hip and let your backbone slip. I mean, but what they did, it was at one point, I was like, they look like horses. I mean, so, so, you know, we are running out of time, but you know what? Yes, we are. Yes. We did not talk about the yes. music. Oh, I was getting into it. I am for it. I like music in all its forms. The only music that I that I'm <laughs> not the greatest fan of is polka. But I, I'm I'm not. But I like Tejano, which has elements of polka. Thank you, Selena. But you know, I did. I enjoyed the fact that they um, used modern day music but they did it in the style of the period i think that it further solidified that hey y'all this is not a historical piece in terms of this is not a documentary this is a fantasy and we can take elements of today and put it in here because this is the fantasy of it all and i I really really liked it what did you think I, I mean, I, oh, you know, so I, I might like, not keep like, up love. with every bit right. of my, you know, new new release music, blah blah blah. But you can you you know your class. I know my classical pieces from my modern pieces, and that was like, oh, that is definitely a modern song set to classical music. I and I and I and I was all oh. for it because honestly, the worst song in its regular genre can sound amazing to a violin and a piano and a harpsichord and a harp and a flute and a clarinet (laughs) and put them all together okay (laughs) you you got beauty Uh well well i'll say this you know one of the things that makes us really really smart to also to me is the fact that one of my first introductions it's, to classical look, music is it really your first was that really your first and introduction so, to classical music well i grew up in a in, in a jazz household so yeah but you know, i think that it was looney tunes i mean you know like i grew up in a jazz household but i was like four or five watching cartoons and stuff so i would say it was looney tunes and can you imagine you know them playing a piece that bugs bunny is mischievous too i'd have been like Haha. you know i wouldn't have been able to take it seriously because if i was familiar to a piece or some of the other things like pacabell i mean now at this time mozart and they did mention mozart is is very prevalent and then the most popular pieces are so overused and overdone and it's so close to weddings i just think that it would have been trite so they did something that was fresh and you talked about the instrumentation of orchestration um, you know, and what they can do to songs in general. I would, I, to be honest, I didn't recognize, I do know that it was modern, but I didn't recognize them like, like you, I, I don't, I'm old and it wasn't exactly Megan Thee Stallion. So, or, or Flo Millie, you know, so I, I didn't, I didn't recognize the song, but did recognize what they were trying to do and I, I appreciated it very much. Do you think they will continue well, that trend do. on for it's, the rest of the It's refreshing. As as we said, you know, we've had yeah. our 
indulgence of traditional classical music in class, uh, classical pieces in various walks of life, whether shows, mm-hmm. movies, weddings, etc. So it would be nice if they continue down that path. I, I do want to, since you brought up the classical music piece, I do want to give a shout out to two podcasts that um, really talk about um, the Black contributions to classical music and how uh, how 1800s and how they how it has transitioned today. Uh, and one of them is Triloquy and the other one is Classically Black. So I will link to them in the show notes because they are excellent and just the the freshness of the sound and also, you know, just the thing that they did with Richardson is saying taking something that's old and making it new again and and translating it to different audiences that's exactly what those podcasts do so i do suggest right. that you give them a listen oh uh, so lady h do we have anything else that we want to talk about um uh, well i have a question for you what are you looking forward to for the rest of this podcast uh series like what can people expect from us and also what are you looking forward to so for the you can continue rest of to the hear season? they'll continue to hear us bantering back and forth indulging some of our snippets of our personal life snid tiny tiny bits and and continue to joke back and forth but also just our interpretation of this whole series and what we liked what we didn't like and uh Hopefully, and down the line, we'll have some guests to give us their opinions and thoughts on the mm-hmm. show and why they watched it and and give us a, a fresh new perspective. That's, that's what they'll continue to see. And then my thoughts okay. of what I want to see in Bridgerton down the line in these next, in this season is where does Simon and Daphne's relationship go? Um, as well as mm-hmm. I like Colin, so I want to see where Colin and I like Marina too. So I want to see where they head. And of course, the the biggest thing would be okay. figuring out who Lady uh, Whistledown is. And what about you? Fair. Um, I echo what you say about what people can expect in terms of guests going down the line. I will be completely transparent and say that we are going to batch record the Bridgerton episodes. And so therefore, if you do give us feedback on Bridgerton, we will try to incorporate it um, in Sandyton, but they it will not be immediately because we did batch record these. Um, other than that, I will say I look forward to hearing what people have to say. I about the show, about our approach. I will also say that, um, like I dropped two podcasts today, um, I'm creating a syllabus. I'm calling it a syllabus. It's a reading list. It's a resource list of Bridgerton resources and also Sandyton and maybe some some other things that kind of feed into uh, our thesis statement of uplifting Black women in period pieces and with the uh, specialty on or the focus on romance this season so I would say to look forward to that but then also if conversation arises where me dropping a resource fits into the conversation please look forward to that and other than that growing and being better podcasters in terms of the series I 
don't have a favorite Bridgerton right now. I am looking forward to uh, obviously seeing how the ruse plays out between Simon and Daphne, but um, learning more about Lady Danbury and the society as a whole. So I mentioned earlier that I was hoping that this would kind of be a Bridgerton cinematic universe. So I want to, I want a very well seated season where in season four we're like yo so i remember that in season one and now it's coming to fruition now so that's kind of what i'm looking forward to um as well as building community around uh, around these shows a community where you can thirst without judgment where you can get some resources and engage with other um thinkers and just 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 if you haven't found community before uh, because the fit wasn't quite right, I'm hoping that you can All find right. it with us. Well, because so. we are about there on time. We will see everybody hey. next episode. Follow Lady D and Lady H jointly on Twitter and IG jointly at Watch With You. And individually on IG at Harley underscore experience and Asia Dar on Instagram and Twitter. Listening, we invite you to send us your feedback, musings, puns, and comments at watchwithyoupod at gmail.com or watchwithyoupod on IG, Twitter, or Facebook. The night, Simon decided, couldn't possibly get much worse. He wouldn't have believed it at the time but his bizarre encounter with Daphne Bridgerton was definitely turning out to be the evening's high point. Yes, he'd been horrified to discover that he'd been lusting, even briefly, after his best friend's younger sister. Yes, Nigel Burbrook's oafish attempts at seduction had offended every one of his rakish sensibilities. And yes, Daphne had finally exasperated him beyond endurance, with her indecision over whether to treat Nigel like a criminal or care for him as she would her dearest friend. But none of that, not one bit, compared to the torture that he'd been about to endure. His oh-so-clever plan of slipping into the ballroom, giving his regards to Lady Danbury, and leaving unnoticed had fallen into instant ruin. He'd taken no more than two steps into the ballroom when he'd been recognized by an old friend from Oxford, who, much to Simon's dismay, had recently married. The wife was a perfectly charming young woman, but unfortunately one with rather high social aspirations. And she had quickly determined that her road to happiness lay in her position as the one to introduce the new Duke to society. And Simon, even though he fancied himself a world-weary, cynical sort, discovered that he wasn't quite rude enough to directly insult the wife of his old university friend. And so two hours later, He'd been introduced to every unmarried lady at the ball, every mother of every unmarried lady at the ball, and of course, every older married sister of every unmarried lady at the ball. Simon couldn't decide which set of women was the worst. The unmarried ladies were decidedly boring, the mothers were annoyingly ambitious, and the sisters, well, the sisters were so forward, Simon began to wonder if he stumbled into a brothel. Six of them had made extremely suggestive remarks Two had slipped him notes inviting him to their boudoirs, and one had actually run her hand down his thigh. In retrospect, 
Daphne Richardson was starting to look very good indeed. End.